Chronicles podcast. We find and chronicle the aviation stories of aviators around the world who are making a difference in empowering the next generation. I am your host, Colin. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the AvGeek Chronicles podcast. So excited to have everyone back for the third episode of 2021. Thank you, everybody who, who's listening, who has retuned in to 2021. As I said in the first episode this year, so thankful to have you guys along for this ride. This has been really fun. It's been fun to meet people. Uh, it's been fun to talk about a lot of different aviation topics. Um, but I hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode of the podcast where it was my first guest episode. I've never been on a podcast before. I've created a lot of episodes, but I've never been invited on one. And it was a lot of fun uh, being on the marketing at 30,000 feet. Um, talked a lot of, as you guys heard, talked a lot about uh, you know what I do out the real world um, when I'm not podcasting, which to be honest, guys, it's not all that much. It, it doesn't really take all that much time to create a podcast. And you'll learn my opinion on that uh, in that previous episode. So people are like, man, you spent a lot of time on that podcast. I'm like, not really. I spent about two hours. You know, if I'm doing this weekly, it might be two hours a week. That's it. Literally one hour talking to somebody and then an hour max actually putting something together. So uh, that was a really fun show. Um, to be on. Um, it's not up yet from their side, I believe. Uh, but they allowed me to to release it early. And uh, it was actually a video uh, recorded episode as well. So um, check out social media. I'll probably post it uh, again on my Facebook, uh, probably on LinkedIn, if you're following me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, and if uh, Chris and the gang uh, post it on Instagram, you will see it there as well. Well, so I really hope you guys enjoyed uh, last week's episode. If you haven't already, make sure you head over, uh, leave a comment, leave a review on the podcast. Guys, that's the only way uh, we're going to start getting this podcast out to more people is leave those comments, leave those reviews. Um, and please be honest, too, because that's how I'm going to be able to change or tweak the podcast and make it better for you all. I do it for you guys. I don't do it for myself. Uh, so what's in store for today? Well, it's the first episode of the Ask the Ave Geek show for 2021. I know a lot of people asked if it was coming back, and it was released the first episode just a couple weeks ago. And today I have a very special guest with me, a Texas brother, a new Texas brother. Everybody, welcome to the Ask the Ave Geek show, Gary James Knight. How you doing? Uh, I'm great. I'm phenomenal, and I'm, uh, I'm happy to be in Texas, happy to be on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Staying warm. Texans are cold right now. (laughs) (laughs) I was not expecting this. You know, coming from Florida, I'm used to somewhere between 72 and 89 degrees every day. And um, now I actually need a jacket. Today I wore two. So it's like my wife. My wife wore two today. I, I was I was home all day, so I didn't have to do anything special. So I just, I stayed in silence. It's she's oh, got. I was home too, wearing here, so. two jackets. <laughs> <laughs> you I still got the Florida the, blood in you. You got the Florida I blood. I do, I do, and I live with a really, really warm-blooded woman. She, um, my, my wife, it, you know, she won't set the thermostat higher than maybe 68, 69 degrees. So, and I am so cold-blooded. It's not my feet are always cold. See, you're the you're the total opposite of what we're I am. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right, man. Well, thank you so much for joining uh, the show today. So stoked to have you. Um, I mean, we both share a lot of commonalities. You're a sales manager over on the uh, on the fixed wing side. I'm a sales manager on the helicopter side, and I haven't had a conversation like this, so I'm super stoked uh, for the content that'll come out today. Uh, but Gary, I just want to start out. Who is Gary? I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Excuse me to the audience. Where are you originally from? How old are you? Who is the real Gary? Yeah, so um, technically, and, and don't take this the wrong way, my first name is Gary James. I don't, well, I don't put James? that. It is. It's, it's hyphenated. So I don't well, put that out there too much because I got to about eighth grade and I realized, you know what? Correcting everyone every time they say my name is going to make my life very difficult. So we'll just go with Gary. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, but my you, dad's you know, name is is Gary, and uh, my mom didn't want a junior. So because uh, my mom's Puerto Rican, and once you have a junior, like everybody calls you junior. Uh, but when you're Puerto Rican, it's more like junior. And so my mom didn't want me going around like with with people saying that. She always found that really annoying. So they compromised on a hyphen. And so that's how Gary James came about. Um, and then, um, so I, I grew up not in aviation. I grew up in the medical field. Both my parents are physical therapists. My dad's a chiropractor as well. Um, I actually learned sales from my mom, which is very, it, it's, it's kind of a very different perspective. Even though my dad has always run his own business, my mom has always been the salesperson not necessarily for his business, but just, you know, and she's always been very good at what she does. So she was always, she always had a gift of explaining the benefits of, of what she does to whoever she's working with. And, um, when she was a physical therapist, she ended up, she would always get promoted very quickly wherever she was. And then, um, she ended up when I was in college as the area manager for the company she was working for. And that was my first time, like, seeing anybody that I knew on a personal level in a sales role. Mm -hmm. um, but it was very weird because I never really considered my mom as a salesman. I was just like, that's mom. She's just good at what she does. And so for the company she was working for, she would go to nursing homes and do pitches to have them onboard her company as an outsource for their physical therapy department so that they wouldn't have to worry about hiring they wouldn't have to worry about the the malpractice insurance or things like that when it comes to running a physical therapy department at a at a nursing home. Um, and she made very very good money doing that. And she she got promoted again. And then the company that um, she was working for got bought out by a bigger company. Um, and it was like the second largest physical therapy outsourcing company and the largest physical therapy outsourcing company. So. Uh, they got bought out. And then, you know, just by osmosis, I picked up a lot of sales things from her. And um, when I realized I wanted to be in aviation, um, the, the, my first plan didn't work out. I went to Embry-Riddle, graduated, got a job in the operations department of a charter company. Um, they went bankrupt and I wanted to stay in Tampa. So I got my real estate license, which is something I recommend for anyone that especially if you're a pilot already, your real estate license takes 20% of the effort of your pilot license. So it's worth it to have in your back pocket because it's going to save you a lot of money at some point in your life. Um, and I ended up doing that for five years and I built a, a, a business for myself doing that. Um, 
you know, I was doing all the marketing. I was doing all the prospecting. I was the transaction coordinator. I was the accountant. I was everything. And, you know, I, I fed my family for five years doing that. And one day I'm at a home inspection for a client that I had prospected and nurtured and closed. And the home inspector is a pilot. So we're both geeking out over airplanes. And he tells me, you know, um, do you know about Icon? I was like, of course I know about Icon. They make that cool little two-seater airplane that's like crazy expensive. What's up with that? And uh, he says, they're hiring. I said, really? Uh, what are they looking for? And he said, uh, they're looking for flight instructors. And I wasn't interested in being a flight instructor. Um, but I was interested enough to go on the website and look for a job or look at the job postings. And they had a sales position open. And even though I, I was, I was established in what I was doing and I was happy to run my own, you know, running my own show, essentially. Um, I just opened the gig and I said, you know, you know, these are, you know, this qualification, A, B, C, D. And I was like, I do that. I do that. I do that every day. I do that. And then, um, so I just put a resume together in about 15 minutes. I sent it in, interviewed after, you know, interviewed about three times and they gave me an offer and I felt it was more than fair. I asked my wife, you know, are you up for this? She said, I'm ready for a new adventure. And that's how I ended up working for Icon. And there you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but you started that in Florida and yeah. then you, uh, obviously you took a new role in the company, uh, which mm -hmm. brought you here to Texas. So now we're in Texas. Are you living and how yeah. do you enjoy it? So I live uh, north of Austin. I live so far north that people say I live in South Dallas, but um, <laughs> it's a it's a little town called Pflugerville, and it starts with a P. So um, I call it Pfluggerville because it's just fun to say; and it makes people laugh. Uh, but I keep the planes at the uh, so I have two sales demo airplanes, uh, and I keep them at Austin Executive Airport. It's a very very it's the nicest airport in terms of, in terms of FBO. It's one of the nicest FBO facilities in the state. Oh, and then nice. uh, and then the um, the controllers are the nicest controllers I've ever spoken with. Like you know they they've uh and and they will go out of their way to make certain that i have a good demo like they they understand everything about what i do and they're always extremely accommodating they never yell at you you know they don't talk to you like you're stupid so it's it's a great environment for people who are not familiar with aviation which that's part of the product that we sell is it's very attractive to people who are outside of the aviation world so it allows them to experience aviation in a way that's not intimidating um, so that's where I keep the planes and my, the apartment I'm at right now is literally eight minutes away. So it's why I don't, you know, I love, I love what I've seen in Austin so far. It's got a great boating, ex uh, boating community. Um, people are always very inviting and welcoming. I've been invited out on the lake so many, you know, dozens of times, which is usually it takes a long time to build a network that's going to, you know, let you spend their gas, <laughs> their boat gas, you know, but, uh. <laughs> It's just about anywhere else, but Austin, it really does welcome people with open arms. And and then Joe Rogan moved here. So like, you know, come on. The boss, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> I, people always ask, like, how'd you get into podcasting? I'm like, well, I was a longtime follower of Joe Rogan. And <laughs> so I followed him. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but you moved from Florida and you were living in Tampa, right? Yeah, I was in Tampa. That, that's, that's funny because that's where my sister lives right now. Oh, no way. Uh, yeah, she's she's in Tampa. So absolutely loving what just house? happened. <laughs> no, uh, she's an apartment person. That's uh, that's for sure. 
um, younger sister too, but she's loving it down there. Um, and you guys, big winners in the Super Bowl, so that's Bro, good. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on. So I, 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 I moved to town. Uh, now baseball. I'm a Atlanta Braves fan because I lived in Georgia in the '90s, and they spoiled me. I'm ruined for life. You know, yeah. seeing a, a pennant every year for eight, nine years straight, like I'm, I'm screwed. I, I can never root for another baseball team other than the Atlanta Braves. Football, they never got me because even in the '90s, people that lived in Atlanta did not like the Falcons. Like, actually, did not like the Falcons. Um, and the, the, the thrashers had just started when I was there. So hockey just didn't really matter either. So I moved to Tampa people, or I, I ended up moving to Jersey first and everybody was an Eagles fan cause it was South Jersey. And I like that. If you know anything about Eagles fans, they're all out of their mind. So as soon as I left there, I left, I was happy to leave the Eagles behind and you can send me all the DM hate that you want on that. But I can't figure out who has worse fans, the the Eagles or the Steelers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll vote for the Eagles. Like, yeah. I'll say it. You know? I mean, anybody that still follows me from high school is going to have a problem with that, but whatever. <laughs> um, the, um, the the Eagles, I mean, they, they were the first team to have a, a jail in the stadium. That should tell you something about, yeah. you know, the fans. But anyway, um, so I moved to Tampa and um, – you know, the, the, the Buccaneers weren't a great team. You know, they just won a Super Bowl like two years before, but it was their first. And they had had a lot of coaching changes. Um, they had, you know, they'd either changed since I moved there, they either changed their, they never went two years without changing the offensive coordinator or the head coach. So like, there's just not too much consist. There was just never been too much consistency with that team. And I will, like rooting for underdogs like it's yeah. just kind of my nature so i hate bandwagoners and i saw all these people going for like new england and like brady's coming up he's winning get you know super bowl after super bowl i'm like forget you guys i'm gonna be a bucks fan because <laughs> <laughs> because you know what if if you know when we win and it'll it'll happen but when we win nobody can call me a bandwagoner so um and then, uh, you know, I, I move and three months later, the, the Lightning win the Stanley Cup. And then the, the Tampa Bay Rowdies end up being Eastern Conference champions because they end up canceling the rest of the season. But, you know, they had a shot. And then the Rays go to the World Series. And then, um, and then the Bucks win the Super Bowl. I'm, I get, I'm like, I guess it's me because two years after I left Philly, the Phillies win the World Series, the Eagles win the Super Bowl, and I and I don't think the Flyers won a cup, but like it's just crazy. Every time I leave a major metropolitan area, the, the teams win the championship. It's wild. Well, well, then for maybe the Texas people that are listening to this podcast, maybe we, maybe they just want you to leave the state of Texas so the Cowboys exactly. win the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that that's funny, especially about the Rays too, because uh, well, my sister works for the Rays, um, oh, so wow. she's yeah, she's in their social media department. And our family, before she worked for the Rays, we are like diehard Dodger fans. Right. Uh, my whole family's from California. We just grew up watching Dodger baseball, right. and so the house was divided during the World Series, and we attended the World Series, and it was very, it was hard. <laughs> Let's yeah. just say that. But no, she. <laughs> 
she loves it down there. She loves everything about Tampa, and she thinks what's going. It, it, it's that's big for all the sports it's, teams to be having yeah. success down oh, there. Oh, it, it's wild. It's an underrated city. It really is. Yeah. Um, I think um, it, 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 there's a there's a stereotype with Florida that people are either think it's Miami or it's like redneck city. Um, and there is a lot of space in between it. Basically south of Orlando until you get to the tiny corner of Florida, that is Miami. Um, all of that is just a melting pot. It's people from all over the country and they, none of them know how to drive. And that's, that's the only thing they, they share in common. All right. So before we get into the big meaty section that I couldn't wait to talk to you about, um, before we wrap up your about you section to let everybody know who you are, uh, growing up and now through some of the experiences that you've had and experienced, not only as a pilot, um, but in real estate as in 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 life and between moving between all the places that you've lived, what would be maybe one or two biggest lessons that you've learned personally that you still hold close to you today? Um, I think uh, I don't. You know, that's a that's a that's a very good question, and I I have to think about that because I'm always thinking about uh, what's going to move me ahead. Um, and, and so like right now, what's, what's very big, uh, last year I spent a, a lot of effort and energy learning to be the bigger person. Um, I, I'm a younger brother, so I'm by my nature, I'm argumentative and I'm going to win. Like that's, I that feel like that it. just happens to the younger sibling. It just happens. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think it, it, you, I think it's part, I, I think, you know, going, just looking at the nature of being a younger sibling, at first, I'm getting ready to have my second, uh, second kid. And like, regardless, the second, the, the first kid is you better be more mature. So like that's out of the box. You have, as the, as the older sibling, you have to be more mature. And I definitely saw that with my sister. Like she, there was always the expectation that she was supposed to be more mature. She was supposed to know better. So in a way I was able to get away with a lot more than she would have ever been allowed to. So it kind of like boosts your confidence in a way. So I can go into an argument and be very confident that I'm going to win. But also then the real world happens and you realize not everybody is your younger, not everyone is your older sibling and your parents are going to, aren't going to come in and make certain everything's right. So you like, for me, one of my biggest lessons is like uh, humility is not putting yourself down. It's accurately assessing where you are you know, accurately, accurately assessing how you should be evaluated, your performance, whatever, um, and that you're not entitled to win. You're not entitled to be correct or be right. Um, you know, if, if you're right, you're going to be right. And and like it, 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 being objective is very, very difficult. And I'd say that would be the second lesson I would say. Um, the one, the one thing I do carry around with life, uh, through life is just to be brutally honest with myself. It doesn't mean you tear yourself down. It doesn't mean that you put, you know, put yourself higher than you are, but like, just don't lie to yourself because the, when you start lying to yourself, you make you, you're, you're the only one that's going to suffer for that. And that, that comes out in a lot of different ways. It comes out in entitlement. Um, I think that, uh, and you know, there's every older generation says the younger generation is entitled. Um, so that's, that's not necessarily new, but I think that, um, a lot of people 
uh, I, I think a lot of people stop themselves from reaching after something that they want because it's too hard and they use their scenario or um, like, or they, they blame somebody else for why they're not there instead of going forward. And I don't want to do that to myself, like forget everybody else, but I don't want to do that to myself. I don't want to, I don't want to get in my own way of what I want. So I don't want to lie to myself. And, and I think that's a very, that's something I'm always mindful of is to just make sure that I'm, um, accurate you know telling myself the truth that i'm not just making excuses for why i did or didn't do something yeah and i feel like that's a lot of lessons that people should have learned <clears throat> excuse me from yeah. 2020 or should be learning in 2021 <laughs> yeah. um there, there was a lot of issues and right uh, people good people almost like I, I wouldn't call them bad people they just turned and they flipped yeah. and it, it's just strange and 2020 shouldn't have changed anybody no in fact I look at myself, it made me better, quite frankly. 100%. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I was, I was in a way, I'm, 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 I was looking forward to, to, to getting through it. I was, I was already, as soon as I was like, okay, this is bad and it's getting worse. Um, one of the things that uh, I, I have, you know, very high aspirations in terms of what I want to do in life. And that doesn't mean that I know exactly every detail of it, but it does mean like I know where I want to be and, 20 years and that's not like a whole plan or anything. It's just like, I know I want to grow. Yeah. And, um, so I, I made it a big point last year in addition to being like, just cutting out people that were either negative or putting negativity in my life or not encouraging me. Um, definitely also learning to be around people that were going to raise my, raise my expectations. Yeah. And, um, that's harder to do than it is, than it seems because people that are where I want to be don't have time. So it's not like you can just call them and say, Hey, you want to go grab some tacos or a burger or something like that? But like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I had a phone call the other day with the guy and, um, and he said, we were supposed to hang out on a Saturday and I call him. And he goes, yeah, the VP of AT&T just called me. The servers I set up for him failed. And he's, I'm like, oh, so the world is on fire, basically. Is what <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Understood. You it's get crumbling. a pass, sir. Yeah. Exactly. Like, you get a pass. Like, I'm not gonna, why am I going to sit around and hold that against you? That's crazy. But, um, but it, you know, that's why I say it's like it's, it's easier to say than it is to do. Um, and that's, that's kind of where I'm at and where I'm trying to grow the most is just get around – people that are going to encourage me. And, and, you know, there's that, there's that old adage that, um, you're the average of the five people you hang around the most. So, you know, it's one thing to cut out the, the negativity, but you go out to replace it with something that's going to pull you closer to where you want to be. So. That's- yeah. And that's a, that's a really good segue, uh, into our, our next top, uh, section and topic, um, mm-hmm. around the business that we do in branding, uh, oh, yeah. in aviation. But it's weird because, you know, we both hold positions that you get to deal with a lot of interesting individuals, um, a a lot of people that know what to do with their money, and they become very, very successful in life, and Mm -hmm. you learn a lot from them. Mm -hmm. Um, You not only get to help them and make their experience great uh, for the product, but you you learn a heck of a lot uh, from them, who they deal with, uh, Mm -hmm. and how they've been, you know, and gotten to where they are. So with that... You kind of talked about it in your introductory story, but did you ever think you were going to become a sales manager at Icon? Never. 
ever. As a matter of fact, actually, the, the first time it was brought up, I, I turned it down. I, I said I didn't want to do it. Um, I enjoy my natural strength in, in the sales process is actually prospecting. Um, I'm a, I'm a really good prospector. I'm a very good, um, I know how to leverage the digital ecosystem to generate business clients and, 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 and prospects. That's what I did with real estate. Um, I was, I had zero experience in sales when I started in real estate, other than when I was in college, I I shouldn't say zero. When I was in college for about four months, I tried to sell um, at ad- advertising on a website that was run by some of the kids that were at the school. And so I, I failed miserably, didn't close a dime. Um, and I was like, this is, you know, sales is terrible. I'm never doing this. This is awful. Um, and then just out of kind of necessity and opportunity, I ended up in real estate and that was a struggle as well, because I'm not, I, I really don't chase, um, the finances, I chase a goal. I'm very like, when I have a goal, like I really want to see, I, I sink my teeth into it and I, I don't let go. Um, and um, I, I've i never been motivated enough by money. Don't get me wrong. Like I like getting a paycheck. I like making more money than I used to, but it's not, it doesn't provide me enough motivation to go out and get the job done. Like, I don't get that fear if I am not closing. Um, But if I have a goal that I believe in, I won't sleep, you know, or when I, you know, if I'm awake, I'm working on it. And that's, that's it. So I I didn't think that I had, I, I definitely didn't have that natural sales DNA. But fortunately, my mom did a lot of things, even when I was little, that were, were like, set me up to be confident as, as a salesperson. Um, and, uh, one of the things that when I started getting into, um, the, the sales, the, the, the sales directorship, um, for, for the central U S part of it was, uh, it was, it was a bit of a challenge, but also being able to leverage my strengths to accomplish a different goal was a nice opportunity and that was attractive enough for me to, to find the motivation I needed to, to develop it. And, and now I'm at a place that, um, they're the, we're kind of 50, 50 with the reins on how we drive and develop business in my region. So I have a lot of influence in, um, how I develop my prospects and things like that and, and how I develop the B2B relationships and all that. And, um, so it, you know, fortunately I have the tools that I need to empower myself to succeed. And I think that that's, that's what, that that's really kind of how I got in and stayed in and, and wanted to, to really develop this. Yeah. And that's good that Icon does that for you guys. Cause I mean, that's, yeah. I see the same thing, you know, in my job, in my position, mm-hmm. you know, we have the tools, um, yeah. but still at the end of the day, right. I mean, yeah, the way I see sales and aviation, at least for the stuff that we do from an OEM side, that I always say I, I don't do this for the money <laughs> because I mean it's 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 good yeah. money. Don't get me wrong. It you know it feeds feeds my wife and son, yeah. um, <laughs> and, and I get to live comfortably. But there's hundreds of other jobs out there that I could be doing right now that some of my yeah. friends are doing that making more money. But I wouldn't there's be always happy plenty of in that time job. to go back to school <laughs> and become a software engineer. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? 
know, there's a lot of jobs out there that pay well. Um, you know, I think it's cool that it is really unique. We both work for a manufacturer. That's, yeah. that's, a, it's a rare gig. It is. Um, you know, people ask me, how did you get, how did you get a, the job at Icon? It's like, I, I don't know. I, I applied and I interviewed and they offered it to me and that, and I took it like, that was it. You know, I didn't, I didn't wake up five years ago and say in five years, there's my five-year plan. I'm going to be a sales director at Icon. <clears throat> Matter of fact, um, when I graduated college in 2010, um, and I had my private pilot license, I had my instrument license, I had my instrument rating and Cirrus was hiring, like literally in my backyard, Cirrus was hiring. And I didn't apply because I was like, nah, they won't, you know, they won't let me, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't let me in. Like they, you know, I kind of talked myself out of it. And this time I saw the opportunity come up. I was like, oh, hell no, I'm, I'm doing this. <laughs> I'm going to apply. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to kick myself for the next seven years. Um, and miss out on an opportunity, um, you know, no guarantees that I was going to get it. But, you know, I, at that point in my life, I, I knew that I knew how to position myself in a place to be of value to someone else. Yeah. And so I wanted to, you know, having that, having the opportunity, like a lot of it, when I went into the interview, I kind of wanted the job offer more than I wanted the job. Yeah. You know, because it was game. It was game to me. And it's the same thing like when I go and sell, it's like I want somebody to want to buy it more than I want them to buy it. Like yeah. I want them to – of course I want them to actually buy it because that's how I get evaluated on my job. But like I want to get them to the place that they're like, yeah, I see it. I want this. Well, it. it's it's kind of the way I look at it and sometimes I tell people, you know, I want them to have such a great experience, whether that be in a demo at our factory, uh, at our mm -hmm. training academy so good that it's hard to say yes to a different company. Right. I mean, yeah. I want to provide them as much value as I can as a person and what we can do as a company to, mm -hmm. for them to say, well, that's a hard, you know, that's hard for me to say no to. And it's yeah. almost, you get better. There's just a better feeling when somebody can come back and say, man, you guys just provided a lot of value to us. I could have gone over here and bought that, Yeah, but I chose it not to. And it takes a lot to make that happen. You can't do yeah. it on your own. You know, you know, I, uh, I, I can't imagine how much coordination and like magic it takes for you to make everything happen at once. <laughs> you know? That's a whole different world. Um, I mean, and are you rotor rated as well, or? So I'm getting my rotor rating right now. Uh, yeah. Obviously, I have my fixed wing, just just like you. Uh, and it's kind of funny because you were talking about Cirrus, and I know for like mm -hmm. their sales. Uh, director sales manager positions they got some right. pretty strict rules uh because every sales manager has a demo aircraft they just keep them flowing through the system and they sell them and then they give them another another one so their guys are constantly flying so i understand that but like for me even if i got a rotor rating i am so far away from being able to fly i mean i think i believe our company has a 2000 hour requirement for, for so there's very very few gentlemen and ladies that have that opportunity. In fact, I think yeah. in the United States alone, we have one, two, three, three of them on flight status out of oh my. a big team. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very hard. Yeah. And it's hard as a professional. It's something that I, you know, when I was of, of course, like anybody else, when they said, you know, 
you're, you're going to be a sales director. We'll give you an airplane. I was like, yeah, I get to, I get to fly in. So yeah. this is going to be great. <laughs> and it's a perk because you, yeah. you get, you, it's almost that motivation you were talking about. You get to create the whole experience. Yes. I mean, for me, luckily I have a really good team and some really good partners that are on flight mm-hmm. that will do my demos for me. Right. And so I know the experience I create and lay out beforehand, they just right. play right into it. Right. Um, but for you, that's kind of a nice perk. You get to create yeah. that whole experience for yourself. Yeah, it's it, it's a perk, and it, it is definitely a double edged sword because yeah. um, it, it's not my plane, so I have to fly it according to somebody else's rules. And um, I think something something I wanted to talk to you about for sure, and I'd love to pick your brain and listen to your opinion on this. Um, most people who fly professionally fly someone else's aircraft. Uh, there's very, very few people, unless you're a business owner and you have a jet, that's basically the largest group of people who fly professionally um, and are flying their own airplane. Uh, but most people, especially people in the military, people in the charter world, um, you're flying someone else's airplane. So you have to abide by the rules, their rules. And that kind of that develops this mode of thinking in aviation that you don't really see in other industries that are selling a, uh, you know, a, in a, in a way, a product that no one needs, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, like you go to the, you go to the Porsche dealership, they, they, they have a 200, $300,000 Porsche and upwards of a million. Uh, if you go to a Ferrari dealership or a Lamborghini dealership, um, you know, so the, the products are available, um, at least at, you know, my price point, I don't, what's, what's the base on the 505. So like our base right now, uh, in 2021 is about 1.38. Yeah. So like there's, there's a couple dealerships, you know, the couple auto manufacturers that kind of reach that level, but you know, you're talking specialized, then diagram gets smaller and smaller and smaller as you draw that out. (laughs) (laughs) My my overall my overall point is you know especially with the A five like nobody needs it yeah. you know three three sixty nobody needs it in their life um, but it is if if you are the type of person that's going to benefit from it um, it's like it is it is the no brainer um, and the what what I see a struggle or a disconnect is. Um, all, all of the people that are involved in um, outlining the operation of the product come from an environment where they are operating someone else's um, asset. And so then somebody that so – you're plugging somebody else in that is going to operate their own asset. And – um, it can create some friction, but I think what it, uh, you know, my, my opinion is like, there's just a misalignment of perspective. Yeah. Like I am, I am ult- like, I have to use my demo airplane as a tool for my job. That's, that is, that's how I have to operate it. And I, I'm happy to, cause it, as long as I do, it alleviates the responsibility off of me. So like, that's great. But, um, an owner doesn't quite do that. Uh, an owner is going to use this to develop their own experience. And I have to show them in my demo, how do you develop an experience that 
I, you know, can be replicated and also can like, you know, it's just kind of, you can't show them the whole thing. You have to kind of like open the envelope a little bit and then close it. But I don't know, like with, with you, do you see a, a, a difference between, um, like a, either any sort of disconnect there or how do you like try to try to blend those worlds together? Cause for me, it's, it's tough. Like that's something I struggle with. Yeah. You know, it, it's on our world, you know, we have a little bit of both, right? The guy who's going to be operating it for business, for a business purpose, whether that's right. him or his hired pilots or the other side where it's the private owner, just like you. So everything you experience on, you know, with your customers, I'm experiencing with, I would probably say 75% of my customers because mm-hmm. uh, they're all private owner operators. Right. Um, but everybody's kind of different. But I would right. say the vast majority of folks on the helicopter side, it's weird. They kind of are all the same. Even though they're all different people, mm-hmm. they're kind of all the same. They all think relatively the same when it comes to operation. Mm. Um, and so when it comes down to flying, they're kind of all the same. Right. Um, but everyone has their own personality about it. But on the, mm-hmm. the operational side, you know, it's it's so different. I mean, you could have a group of pilots whose opinions differ from the CEO, the one writing the check. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's always, it, it's it's kind of crazy on a case-by-case basis on that side. Um, but even on my aircraft, because I'm only in charge of the 505, mm-hmm. most of the guys utilizing it as a business tool are also the ones who own the company. Um, a lot mm. of them do it. So it's kind of strange. That, now, that's here in the U.S. Now, abroad, where we have a very large customer base, it's different. Um, right. But even on the because the helicopter side is so much different than the rotorcraft side, and because everybody abides by the same safety standard pretty much, uh, right. and is required to follow those rules, you know, from how people operate it, unless you're held by certain regulations or rules, right? Again, there's a lot of similarities there. Now you do get those renegades that can not only ruin the brand for your aircraft, but ruin the brand right. for your company. That's um, true. I have and, to be a lot more careful of that because we're yeah. young. We're babies in the business now. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, I, I being very aware of, you know, Icon and the product, I know you guys have had those type of moments. Um, yep. But it hasn't, you know, it, it doesn't take away from the product, but you have to show, you know. And, and I think you talked about it um, on the Pilot to Pilot podcast. I listened to your mm-hmm. episode there. And oh, you, you kind of went into, and, and it was really fascinating um, how some of – some of those negative moments with the aircraft and around some of the people operating it, you have to separate that from what's actually going on with yeah. the product. <laughs> I think that 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 goes that that is where being a younger sibling really plays to my advantage. Yeah, because I won't sh- I don't shy away from that. I and and when somebody comes up to me and I can I can tell by how they ask a question what their intent is most of the time. And I don't take their, the, the, the trick is to not take their intent personally. Like, you know, whatever issues that they have with icon, it's not me. It's not like, I don't, I don't need to pick that up and hold that grudge for the rest of the day. I don't need to let it sit there and ruin my day. Um, and you know, to be, to be honest, like I, I wish the product was cheaper cause then I could buy one, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I, you know, and I would sell more like, you know, so, you know, when, when somebody there, there's usually those same three, four questions that you get wherever you go. 
um, how, you know, why is it, why is it so expensive? What happened? Cause these, these, the accidents were very high profile because we're a high profile aircraft. Um, and usually when people are asking these questions, they haven't actually gone and looked up the answer. So that tells me that they don't necessarily care so much about the answer. They, they just, they want to validate their feelings or opinions and, the best way to do that is to take it out on the sales rep because who cares about salesmen? But um, the uh, God, it, well, it's kind of like us too, you know. Yeah. On, on the rotorcraft side, I mean, everyone knows what happened last February in Los Angeles uh, mm-hmm. with Kobe Bryant. I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many times I've had people that know me or meet me that learn I work for Bell and I deal in the helicopter world of what do I think of the Kobe Bryant accident. Wants and I'm like, everybody wants the seconds. opinion based on, and I'm yeah. like, well, the, the NTSB, which actually I think it was yesterday came out with, mm-hmm. or t- yesterday or today came out. Yeah, with it was, findings. it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, they had their big long meeting. Um, basically the investigation has been going on for a year. Um, the initial report came out, which right. was basically what everyone in our world figured it would be. And this report now is no different from what we originally yeah. found out. But the problem is you can blame it on the pilot, but there's always two sides to the story. The, the problem is we will never know the other 50, the 50% of it. We will never right. know. Right. Yeah. And, and um, I think the saddest part about it is you might be dealing with those questions for the next three years. Yeah. Like, you know, and because, and this is what really surprises me about the aviation community because people won't actually go. I don't, I don't blame non-pilots, but definitely pilots. Why aren't we, why isn't our reaction to go and read the NTSB report before we, you know, fall into this public opinion trap, you know? Um, you know, and that's, that is one thing that when, some, when I'm dealing with a, a client on the phone, I'm calling them for the first time. And I hear these questions, what happened to the price? What happened to the, you know, what happened in, in the, the high profile accidents? I say, hey, you know, pilots, pilot, you and me, like, I encourage you to go read that NTSB report because you will walk away with a new perspective and you should be a better pilot for it. Um, you know, and I'm happy to, and then I walk them through, you know, this is, this is effectively what happened. But again, I encourage you to read the NTSB report. And, and the reality is, like, if I didn't think the plane was safe, I wouldn't fly it. I yeah. wouldn't – know I've got a family to take care of. I wouldn't be able to take care of my family if I'm not here. So, um, you know, there's there's the practical side of that as well. And, um, you know, I, I just I, – I, I really do wish that the natural response would be to – especially as, as much emphasis as we put on safety – to actually go and read these reports because, and I'm not, I'm not gonna, gonna mention names, but there's a, when you actually look at the, the, the NTSB report on, uh, on, 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 uh, they actually just re overhauled the system maybe like four to six months ago. But when you actually look by manufacturer and you look at our airplane and you look at airplanes from other manufacturers that we compete with, you realize very quickly that there is there's a different standard with icon and i i just i'll leave it at that but yeah. you know the the it we don't get a fair shake at all like <laughs> by the data we don't get a fair shake and that's cool like that's also part of me not being entitled 
is I'm not going to, I'm not complaining about it. That's, that's just something to, to deal with and overcome and, and, you know, just smile through. But, you know, it's still kind of nice because you're still in a position where you still get to drive that experience for the customer. And once you get them in that demo flight, it's almost where, you know, it's like a switch changes. Yeah. And they're like, I'm, okay, I've experienced it. I've sit in it. I understand it. I mean, I have that happen all the time. Mm-hmm. People have never been around the aircraft. They have opinions from what they've heard from their friends in the industry, mm-hmm. but they've never physically experienced it. Then they actually get to sit their butt in an aircraft and it's different. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I've never had somebody fly the plane, walk away and say it's unsafe ever. You know, I've done hundreds of demo flights at this point. Yeah. So. The demo flight in our position I feel or not like hundred. Demo- Sorry, I got it. I got it correct. Probably. Oh no, maybe I think I'm over. I'm definitely over a hundred at this point. Close That's to crazy. Probably. Yeah. But I would say, and I don't know what you think, but I would say the demo flight is one of the most important pieces of our sales process. It is. Um, I think qualifying before the demo flight is more important for me. Oh yeah. Um, like, and that's to be, to be candid, that's where I struggle because the product does sell itself, but it doesn't convince people to, that it's right for them. Yeah. Everybody loves the thing when they get out of it. But, um, you know, I'm dealing with two people today. One, this, this, uh, one gentleman I'm dealing with, he's a VP. He, he bought a brand new Phenom 300. So it, you know, the, the, and I took him for a demo flight. He loved it. He's got two boys. Um, he wants to get them into flying and, you know, the A5 burns four gallons an hour. So, you know, it's a lot less than his Phenom. So he can like actually just go and use it as, you know, for recreation fits in his life. And it's become like, it's been become so difficult to get him on the phone right now. Not because he doesn't like me, not because he didn't enjoy the experience, but now it's like real life is back. Yep. And, and it is so tough to help motivate him to, you know, focus and just get this one thing done so that he can get to the enjoyment. You know, it's, it's really hard. I mean, I think some people out there think aircraft sales is a cushy job and it's easy, but it's actually (laughs) really, it's really hard and it's a long, long process. I mean, I don't know what you're what your kind of timeline, average timeline is. But I mean, ours can be anywhere from two months to, you know, a gentleman in my system right now who I've been working, he's almost been three years. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the just, same it happens. It, it just mm-hmm. happens. And sometimes you just can't force their issue. I mean, there's a lot of us where we're pretty good at now where, you know, we'll have our director ask us how a certain opportunity is going. And we're like, oh, he'll buy. <laughs> he'll buy at some point. <laughs> Trust me. He, he will. He's, exactly. he's just, yeah, he's just one of those guys. I've been called David, another guy. Um, I talked to him. First conversation was 40 minutes long. I try to, I love to have that 25 minute conversation because that's, that is like, if, if somebody's asking the right questions in terms of like insurance, can I use it here? Can I use it here? My, my best buyers, they don't ask for a demo flight. They don't. It, yeah. it, it's, they are asking, they're envisioning themselves using the product and they, um, and they're at, they're trying to find out if reality matches that expectation. Yeah. And so that, and that's what I try to design the demo around as well. Um, 
and and you know i have a bunch of demos basically in my back pocket you know and in austin i basically fly them up the river i'm like hey there's joe rogan's house that's matthew mcconaughey's house like <laughs> and then all we get to the, the california people are here now yeah exactly <laughs> and then uh and they dig it and then um and then uh, we land on Lake Travis, which is huge, you know, boating community. So, and then we shut the engine off. That's a very important part for us because it allows them to take a break. Like, oh, we can stop. We don't have to. We don't have. It, it's really, really cool if you have the opportunity to do it to get away from the airport and shut the engine off. Because especially for somebody that flies all the time, to like when the engine shuts off, your brain's in a different mode now. And they're like, oh, I'm going to enjoy everything else that's going on. Get some outside. And you like, I've had some of the deepest conversations just talking about life with people. Never talked about the product. Uh, last time I was in Houston, got on Lake Conroe, shut the engine off. And and this, this guy, I, I start kind of asking, I never ask people what they do. Um, it's just part of my sales process because People will, as much as I talk, I listen twice as much, but the uh, people will always get there on their own. They'll, they, you know, and especially if they have something to prove, they'll bring that up way, 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 way early. Um, but I was, and I'm more interested in like, what was it about you as an individual that got you to a place that you're financially capable of doing this? Because that's what I want to absorb. And so I'm, I'm, you know, those are the conversations I get into with people. We just talk about life and, you know, we get, by the time we get back in the plane, like, you know, we have this connection and we're going to be buds forever. Um, and yeah, well, and, uh, and that's true in our, in our line of business. I mean, the relationship is so important and the relationship can go a long way. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's just like, it, I feel like my job is kind of to make friends really. And that's what's <laughs> kind of nice. <laughs> um, it is. Uh, all right. So one of the last questions I have here uh, in, in our talk about kind of our jobs, how they how they kind of pretty much are the same, really. Um, but a lot of our interactions, you know, either from meeting in person or what we're talking about online, it's obviously that, you know, our jobs can be tough but rewarding at some point. Um what are some, you know, for folks out there like, okay, I kind of get what being an aircraft sales sales manager, sales director is. What are some of those rewarding things or perks that kind of come along with our positions of, of being in aircraft sales? Um, I think when you, when, like for me, it's the messages that you get after someone takes delivery and starts using the product. Like that is that's it for me. That That's everything. When somebody, it, I hate it. it. It's, and I tell, I tell clients this, I, I say, I, the last thing that I want is for you to buy this thing and let it sit in the hangar. Yeah. Like, it, it's not worth my time. It, and because it's a lot of energy to close a sale, it is a lot of energy to close a sale. And if there, if I have no, if it just sits in a hangar and collects dust, you're going to be mad that you spent a lot of money on something that you're not using. And I'm going to be upset that I put all this energy into something that no one is ever going to see. So um, I have a, I have a, a client that he, he uh, flies at the water runway in hooks. And he sent me this great picture of him coming in and landing into the water runway. And he's like five feet off the ground, the gears up and 
and he's getting ready to land on the water runway. And like, it's the coolest picture I've ever seen of anybody in the A5. And um, it was the, his enjoy, his level of enjoyment. He, he, when, when he sent that to me and he was telling me about the experience was, it was, that was gratifying. And then um, I have another client who lives here in Austin. Um, he, he got his license a long time ago, bought a plane, didn't like it and sold the plane and stopped flying. Um, and then I took him up for a flight in the A5. He liked it. He, he liked it a lot. And he, and he said he needed just a week to think about it. Uh, after a week, I, I gave him a pitch. He liked the pitch and he bought the plane. And then um, he took delivery and he did the smart thing and he flew with an instructor for probably a dozen hours before he started going out on his own. Um, and then when he started getting out on his own, he's like, this thing is changing my life. That's his words, word for word. This thing is changing my life. Um, he has a home in Hawaii. He's going to sell that home and he's going to buy one on a lake up in up uh, North Boston called Lake Buchanan that he really likes um, flying out of just because he wants to incorporate the product into his life more. And it was the same thing for me in real estate. It wasn't the sale of the house. It was how people felt after the sale. Like when people are like, I know I got a good deal and I know I couldn't have done it without you. I'm happy. Like when somebody says that they're happy and that they wouldn't have been happy without your help, like that's everything for me. Yeah. And it's almost, you want them to be happy at the beginning, but like for my customers, you know, especially in the helicopter, uh, the helicopter world, I mean, the ongoing support is so important of that aircraft because it's yeah. so labor intensive on the maintenance side. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's great for me to, you know, have the thanks at the end of the day and how it's helped them. But I also want to hear that a year from now, two years <laughs> from now, yep. three years from now when big things come up. So it's not, you know, it's, it's. It's gratifying at the beginning, but if they can continue to say that, that's when you know you've done your job right. Now, not everybody's going to say that because sometimes you just you just get a bad one or yeah, you, can't you, you, you mess up. You can't please them all. Mm -hmm. But all we can do at the end of the day is is try to make everybody happy. And that's yeah, we're in the and business I, of I making people to, happy. That's that's where I probably struggle with the most. Is you know, every once in a while, I get that that client come through. And I know they're going to be trouble. Like start to <laughs> there's there's just some high maintenance ones. That's that's what we what we yeah. have to deal with. Yeah, the the high and it's not so much the the demand for attention that I have an issue with. It's the 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 false expectations that they yeah. they tend to set themselves up. That's what I have a problem with sometimes. And and I, I you know to not that I'm, I'm sabotaging myself, but I will bring someone's expectations to reality. Um, because I don't, it's going to burn you on, on one end or another, you know? Yeah. I mean, the way I look at it, there's, there's easy, there's easy customers, there's hard customers, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, they're both customers and you got to help them out. hundred percent. Yep. All right. So we've talked a lot about what we do in the sales world and what you do for icon with the a five in the sales world. But for folks that might want to get in a position like we have, what are two good tips for folks to think about? Learn to ask for anything. True. Like, always, like always, but you know, um, and you know, I, I would, I would pair that with also being willing to give as much as you're willing to ask for. Um, 
I, I think most most people are afraid of sales because they are afraid of the stereotype of sales. They're afraid of people thinking that they're a slimy salesman um, and they're out there. Um, but I, I think that that's it is, it's a stereotype and there are plenty of exceptions to the stereotype. And if you look for them, you'll find them. Um, but the, uh, but you have to learn to ask people questions that make you uncomfortable. Um, and, and, and do it. And there is a way to do it and be polite and, and not be rude. And there, there, you know, when I, when I talk to somebody, I have to get to the root of their intent. And the only way to do that is to ask them is, yeah. you know, somebody says, you know, Hey, I saw the A5. I want a demo flight. And the address they submitted is to a $3 million home. Like it's easy to get caught up in the numbers and say, Oh, this guy's got a lot of money. Like I'm just going to go give him the demo flight and he's going to buy. And that's not necessarily the case. Like you got, I have to ignore the numbers and I have to actually ask them. Um, I mean, it happened to me yesterday, you know, had that as this guy's got, you know, crazy net worth that I just, it's wild that like, I actually have billionaires phone numbers in my phone now. Like that's a weird, (laughs) that's a really weird feeling. I couldn't say that two years ago, but, um, and, and they light and they light up when I call them. That's a weird, weird feeling. Um, but you know, and I, I call this guy and I say, Hey, no pressure. I just want to know because I'm, I'm traveling all over. Um, I have, to and this, you know, the the pitch changes what uh, as whatever's relevant. But I say, listen, I have got two production reservations left for this summer, which is true. Um, uh, I have a few people that are interested in Dallas. I have a few people that are interested in Austin, and I'm doing everything I can to make sure that I get to them immediately. Um, is this something that you're seriously considering before you know for this season? And, you know, people respond to honesty with honesty most of the time. And they'll say, um, they'll say, uh, you know, well, you know, I wasn't thinking right now. I'm just, I'm just intrigued. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested, but I'm more so intrigued than, than interested. And that's where being a professional comes in handy because, because learning to, um, learning to ask is, is a routine, but being a professional takes skill. Um, so there's always an object. I just assume, you know, learn, you know, one of the best things I ever learned in sales is to assume that there is an objection, find the objection, uh, um, overcome the objection and believe yeah. you're that, that you're going to overcome the objection. So, you know, when the gentleman tells me I'm more intrigued than interested, I say, great. Tell me, you know, what it what is attractive about it to you? And what I'm going to do is, I, at that point, I say, so if I can make this more attractive to you, are you going to be more of a near term purchase, basically? You know, and 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 I'm going to try his his objection is that he doesn't know how interested he is. So I'm going to find out what he's interested in and see if I can tie that to the product. See if I can use leverage the product to solve that for him. Um, but I have to, I have to pull that out of, out of the prospect. I have to make certain that, that the interest is coming from what they're interested in. You never know what it's going to be, but you have to be willing to go there. So for some people, maybe a better price is going to be more interesting. 
for some people, maybe training is going to make it more interesting. For some people, maybe I'm going to pay for their hanger for a year. And that's what's going to make it more interesting. It's it's not uh, – some, some people need me. Some people need to know that they're going to have somebody to fly with. Some people need to see how other people are going to react to the product. But you don't know until you go there and you have to be willing to go there. So it's like ask, but on the other – ask, listen – look for an opportunity to give and follow up on that. And then, um, and uh, there was a, there was another one, but I took a long time to answer that. So I'll leave it. No, that. No, you're good. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I hope people, a lot of people took some good things out of that. I mean, we obviously have fun jobs, tough jobs, mm-hmm. but jobs that we do because we love it. Um, it's definitely not a job that you want to do for the money. It pays well, right. it pays the, pays the bills. It, Mm-hmm. Pays to put the food on the table, right? But, oh, but I'd it's say, hard I ha- I it's do special. have to say, learn to love your job. Learn to if you can learn to love a job you hate, that's that's going to help a lot too. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a long time, actually. Yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty good one. Yeah, I hated real estate when I started it. Hated it, and I learned to love it. Yeah, I, like I forced myself to learn to love it, and I did. I by the time I left, I was like, I'm. The best freaking real estate agent in Tampa. (laughs) And and I I actually was very, very good. And I, and I got very, I got some really, really incredible results for my clients that I'm very, very proud of. Um, But I had to learn to just love the business and the process first. And I didn't like it at first. So if you can learn to love something you don't like, that's, that's a very good indication that you can get into sales and really have a good time. Oh yeah. It's, it's so true. And to be honest, anyone I always say everyone's in the business of sales. You sell every day. Um, it's just a matter of where your mindset is because I think anybody 100%. can do it, but it's mm-hmm. special. So if you guys have any questions on what it takes to be a sales manager, sales director for an OEM company, uh, at the end of the podcast, we'll we'll get um, we'll get everyone's social channel and we'll be able to uh, get the questions out there. But I got two questions for you in mm-hmm. regards to what you were talking about before and how you said you you're really good on the prospecting stage. Mm-hmm. And one of the areas where I think you guys, your brand and your company is really good at, but so are folks like you, uh, is that world of social media, videography mm-hmm. and photography. So do you feel that the aviation community understands the power of social media and what it can do for not only pilots, people and brands, uh, but to the industry? No. <laughs> Simple answer. I like it. <laughs> what, what about, okay, so I'll ask you another question. Um, you know, you're really good at it, but maybe compare yourself to either other sales managers you know or sales managers in your company. Right. Um, so I would say that you don't, there is a lot of pressure to be vocal on social if you have the skill set for it, and not everybody does. Um, and that's okay because everybody's got a skill set. Um, I know some real estate agents that crushed it and did not have an Instagram. And so it's not a, I, I built a business using the internet and that was, so I came out of that world and looked for ways to execute on that, you know, in that way. And, and, you know, being able to jump into people's direct messages is is a very powerful tool. I've, there's there's three sales linked to that come from jumping into DMs that I've that I that have that have closed business for 
for icon um and it's like that it i think the 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 problem is that people will look at it as a one-to-one so it's like you know well gary sent these dms and that turned into business so we need to build this process out of dms like no no like that was just my strength it was an opportunity and it worked and that that happened because of the seven or you know five years of real estate development that i did and all the no's that i got there and it just so happened that i tried something that worked out here and that doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that it's a bad strategy but it means that um it, it is not a direct correlation like it everything just translates into something else and and um i don't i don't think that there was a time where if you were that where it was very easy to be loud on the internet and we're seeing it with clubhouse right now. Like oh, yeah. it's very, uh, um, the attraction on clubhouse is bananas. And the same thing with LinkedIn, LinkedIn's had quite the resurgence in the last couple of years. Excuse well, me. In the I mean, last couple of years. Look at Twitter. Twitter almost almost dead. Yeah. What happened to Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> now um, it's back now it's back and you know twitter's releasing a clubhouse feature as well so it's something that's big on my radar especially because clubhouse kind of leaves the android people out so as soon as they have an option they're going to dig their heels in the first the first platform that lets them play and so twitter makes a lot of sense for that um and and that's you know i i don't want i definitely don't want people who don't think that they can be good at creating content to to feel defeated or feel like they don't have a shot because they can't compete in the internet environment um because you know always compete where you're strong you know i I know plenty of people i knew real estate agents that built their business they no instagram nothing they brought donuts to home builders every week and you know once a month they'd get a referral from one of the home builders that they brought donuts to and that you know they'd they'd have some ridiculous like after a while it snowballs and they're doing like four million in revenue a a quarter no internet so it's it is a tool that i think a lot of people are able to leverage but i think that we're moving from a time where you just had to be vocal to now you have to be good and like good and provide value yeah and to me like that's where i'm struggling because i like i got early everywhere i was on instagram early i was on tiktok early i was on you know i i was on linkedin early um and and i was on facebook early so i've been through like i've always i gotten so spoiled by the early stages and being able to get numbers and traction very easy and then people that are good come in and i'm like now it's hard like i'm gonna go somewhere else you know but um but I, you know, and that's, that's where I'm trying to develop myself is, you know, okay, well, and that's the way you've seen some of my content lately has been a little bit different than it has been traditionally. And part of that is because I actually want to provide real value, just not get attention. Yeah. And, um, I think that, uh, you know, the aviation community by nature is, uh, is conservative. And I don't mean that in a political sense. I mean, like in a, in a, in, in a way that we, problem solve and think and, uh, and approach things is, is cautious because that's, you know, as a pilot, you think things through before you do them. Um, and, and that is, 
that it, you know, conservative type thinking requires uh, a, an, uh, a version to risk. Like you try to put risk away. And so when this new thing pops up, like Clubhouse, conservative type thinkers will say, let me, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to watch and I'm going to wait. And once I have this figured out and a strategy that I can be confident in, then I'm going to execute. And, uh, and a liberal type thinker will just say, well, we're just going to try something. We'll see what happens and we're going to go from there. So um, I think that by its nature and because uh, aviation is attractive and develops people who are more conservative type, um, you're going to have conservative type thinkers. You're going to have people at um, you're going to have people at the top that don't see value in something that's new. Yeah. And so and so because of that. Um, you know, the, the problem is, you know, when, if, if you believe that, you know, the generation coming after us is, is what's important and what, you know, we're not going to succeed if we can't attract, be attracted to the generation after us, um, you're not going to have their attention if you're not in front of them. And if we're not there, uh, you know, there, there was a time where aviation was the dot-com boom was the Silicon Valley of its time. And it was attractive by its own nature flying. Like we figured out how to put, move people through the air. Um, and so it was so attractive that uh, it, it, uh, it attracted liberal type thinkers. It attracted young people. So you have to be able to, to provide an environment that, that um, allows access or access of opportunity for all. And I think that, um, I'm not, I'm definitely not like, I hate using these terms because it sounds like I'm making a political <laughs> statement. I'm really not. I'm just, I'm just like, trying to, I, yeah, I'm trying to, to, uh, one of the things that's very important to me is for people to realize that, um, especially pilots in aviation and, and people that are, are, uh, passionate about the aviation community to realize that, um, we, we are, we get in our own way more than, anything else is in in our way we we have access to everything we need to accomplish the goals that we want if we want to make more pilots we can do that if we want to get if we want to make aviation louder we can do that um if we want to make aviation safer or smarter we can do that um but we can't do it in our own little bubbles in our own little worlds and and we're not always going to agree on the right way to go i think that's kind of the the biggest hindrance to how aviation approaches the internet is people are all entrenched in their subjective opinions about this is how you should do Instagram. This is how you should do TikTok. This is how you should do YouTube. Um, I can tell you like my opinion, the buyers are on YouTube. Like yeah. the, the, I don't think they're on LinkedIn. I don't think they're on Instagram. I don't think they're on TikTok. I think the buyers are on YouTube. So if you want to create content for buyers, like you got to be on YouTube, and that's that's where I'm putting my my focus is going to be definitely YouTube. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because even in our own, you know, uh, in our own department um, for this aircraft, I mean, we have uh, a gentleman who's one gentleman who's in charge of the marketing for um, for our aircraft, and he has put a huge focus on YouTube. It's just Smart. an important place because that's usually the first place yeah. they're going to go get answers. Yeah, I mean, hundred percent. I mean, look, <laughs> when you when I try, you know, a home renovation, for example, my first place that I'm going to go on how to tile a backsplash, I'm going to YouTube. 
facts. <laughs> what, what do I think and, about the What do I think about the A5? I probably could find the answer on YouTube. <laughs> exactly, and and also, um, you know, most uh, I I'm a very big student of human behavior uh, because I had a very tough time in high school socially, so uh, college was much much better to me, but. Um, I was still, I was in college, high school, I was a, a loner uh, out of necessity because like it was just too difficult to hang with people. Yeah. But um, college, I was a loner by choice. I was a lot more confident uh, in myself at that point in my life. So, and I, I, I didn't want to hang out with the same people that, you know, four years ago were making fun of me. Like that's just, yeah. it, 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 uh, it, it didn't really work. <laughs> that, that whole idea didn't really work for me. Um, but it, but it, what the, the benefit of it, there's a, there's a, it's a double-edged sword. Like on the, on the, on the one side, um, I had a tough time communicating with people and I had to learn that and I sharpen that skill quickly when I got out of college. Um, but, uh, the other side, the, 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 on the pro side of it, I got to watch people and I, I be, it was easy to become very unromantic about how people make decisions because I wasn't involved. So I didn't have to take it personally. So I didn't have to make excuses. Like it was just binary. Like, you know, Joe did this, Jim did that, Jill did this, you know, Jake did that. And, and so when I look at the internet and I could say, you know, I've got 20 some odd thousand followers on TikTok, it doesn't matter because um, I look at how people behave on TikTok. I look at how my clients behave and I say, you know, my, my clients are on TikTok. It doesn't mean that it's not a, a platform that I need to be on, but it does mean that they're not there today. And that, it, and there's benefits to putting energy into it because it's good for me. It's good for my brand. It's good for the exposure of icon. Um, but, uh, you know, I can't, develop a strategy that's going to make sense for you know like if i'm just strictly for the value of sales i can't can't focus on it today um uh now when i think of how people buy how people make decisions they want to go to a place that they can observe and youtube is the best place to do that you know like you brought up your backsplash example not only are you going to look up how to install it, you're probably going to look up because then you're going to go to Home Depot, look at all the different examples and brands. And then you're going to go back to YouTube and say, what's the benefit of this brand over this brand or yep. look for a comparison video. And we all tend to be, regardless of financial qualification, we all tend to behave in that manner. And, uh, you know, Instagram is more outward. TikTok is more outward. Um, Facebook, it's a weird place right now, <laughs> but, but um, it's kind of outward, but Facebook groups have that community element, which is really, really powerful. Um, which is strange because on the helicopter side, I would say there's a lot more helicopter pilots and operators on Facebook group communities than there is on any other social platform. So it's really weird to see that because yeah. that means I got to play over on Facebook, which I'm fine with. I'm good at. Yeah. Um, but I, some of my best prospecting actually comes from Facebook too, because of that. Yep. So it, it's kind of exactly, nice. <laughs> it's, it's wild. Um, it, there's, there's a strong community element to Facebook that I think is dramatically undervalued. Once you have a Facebook group, I've, I've grown two businesses using Facebook groups. So I'm a very, very big proponent. One of the things I did, um, 
when, as I was running my Facebook business or, or my Facebook business, my real estate business, one of the things that I did, um, as I was getting results for my, uh, like lead generation and things like that, I would teach classes to other business owners on how to run Facebook ads. And, um, I would just go in there and I'd open Facebook and I'd show them like, this is how I'm doing it. These are the principles that I'm using. And this is, these are the results I'm getting. So they could actually see the name, emails, phone numbers, you know, the, the price points people wanted to buy at and things like that. And I wasn't, I wasn't, I would even do that for other real estate agents who would be like, why are you showing people how to do this? Well, first of all, because like, it's really not a secret. If you want to know, you can go on YouTube and listen to what I just told you. (laughs) (laughs) The, the other part is like most people won't follow through, but the, the, the positive Delta on my brand is so much better than the business you could potentially steal from me. Yeah. Like, so it, it like there, there is no negative for me in sharing, you know, sharing the secrets. Cause there is no secret sauce at the end of the day. It's work. You get a phone number, you follow it up until they tell you either I'm not a serious buyer or yeah, I want to go out this weekend. Um, and, and with, uh, with, with, with social or, you know, I, I like to call it the internet because it's always evolving and changing. And, it's all and, the same thing. Yeah. Attention goes from one place to another. It's just a matter of where I, I think clubhouse is going. I think clubhouse is a big, 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 big deal because and the reason why is because it's the first time that you've seen celebrities jump on a platform so early because the, like they don't have to worry about what's going on in the background anymore. Yep. They don't have to worry about, you know, they can just, Boom, audio. They can do that anywhere. And that is a huge, huge deal. Audio has been something that's been up and coming. Uh, you know, audio audio platforms have been on my radar since uh, Anchor kind of started making it very yep. easy to distribute podcasts. Um, and then, uh, of course, Gary Vee has been talking about audio for years. For years. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so seeing a platform that has been adopted with behavior um, from people that have been, you know, outside of, usually it's the other way around. Celebrities will chase into what the consumers are doing, but this time it feels like it's the other, this time it feels like it's the inverse. Um, one of the, one of the people I'm trying to prospect real hard is 21 Savage because he's, because <laughs> um, he actually soloed a Cirrus already. Yeah. So yeah. He's, he's pilot. done some flight training. Yeah. So he's done some flight training. I think I, think um, I tweeted, I, I tweeted a joke at him one day when I was doing oh, a demo. Oh, <laughs> So, um, but I, I think, I think he'll do, I, I, I think it's more likely that he'd actually throw down on an A5 than not. Um, be just because, cool. yeah, there's, there's a, the, you know, kind of fits in the whole like glitz and glam show business. The lifestyle. Too. Yeah. So, yeah. A hundred percent. And, well, um, so I'm trying to get in front of him, but I think, uh, you know, clubhouse is, he's been so active on clubhouse. So it's like, that actually is going to be a good segue into that. But yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of funny cause I was talking to how my sister has, you know, relations to, to kind of your past in, in Tampa, but she also worked for Gary. And so I got, a lot of the, I got, I got a lot of the inside scoop on that for, I think it was a year she worked, uh, wow. for him, which was pretty cool. Cause you know, then you get to meet some of the people in his inner circle, but right. on the whole clubhouse voice thing, it's funny because tonight was, uh, Elon Musk and Kanye West getting together to do Are a clubhouse you serious? chat. Yeah. Oh. Which is insane. So that's twice Elon has come out now (laughs) 
to do uh, Big Clubhouse. But I mean, that's the power of voice in these apps, I'm glad right? I bought Tesla stock today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, right? Like, it's the importance of there's no there's no middleman now. You don't need agents in charge of you to decide who's going to talk to who. You can literally set it up via an app just yeah, like that yeah. and have a free press conference that you're going i mean i can't uh, i can't wait to see the numbers on how many people jumped into those rooms gonna be wild yeah that and 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 gaming is another industry like i'm just not attracted to gaming or i'd be yeah. more into it I'd, I'd absolutely have a twitch channel like instagram definitely fits my character a lot better because i can you know post a picture and then have a blog post underneath it basically i did a lot of blogging when i was in real estate and so i'm 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 not afraid to to be vulnerable in long form text, and so that's like that. It's it's pretty easy for me to go there. Um, so, but Clubhouse is a, you know you, you, having large scale conversations. That's something that's very attractive to me as well. So, yeah, and it, and at the end of the day, I mean, the internet is powerful. It can do very good things for you. It can do. I mean, it's obviously doing good things for us in our positions, uh, but you don't have to be the best at it to use it and gain from it um you can learn from it but like you were kind of saying I, I do agree in our jobs do what you're good at not not doing you know that liberal thinking that you say uh yeah. doing because it's the new thing like stick yep. with what you're good at and just keep doing it even better 100 percent. yeah there's a there's some, there's a guest that joe had on his podcast years ago um I, I can't remember his background or anything because I only saw like clips. But one of the things that he said that stuck with me was that, you know, when you focus on one thing, you're actually much more likely to get it than yeah. if you try to focus on, uh, you know, several things at a time and try to work towards them. It's, uh, and that's why, you know, my, my focus this year is just be the number one sales director at the company. That's, that is that's everything I, yeah, that's, that's, that's everything I do, you know, 10 to 16 hours a day, every day. And I'm, I'm anything that's outside of that. It, it, it was tough because, you know, for a long time I was juggling stuff. When I first started, I kind of still running the real estate stuff. And then I had to like shut that down because like, you know, icons paying me. Like it, it's just, you, I run into a, like a, a moral deficit if yeah. I'm using energy that I should be using for icon for my own stuff. And I, I've got nothing wrong with side hustles. Like if you're if, like, if, but um, at some point the side hustle has to be a focus. Like, yeah. so you, you can't have feet in both water and you know, it's going to be tough to, it was going to be tough to be number one and try to run a side hustle. So it's just like, I, I want to be more, I want to be number one more than I want to have a side hustle. So yeah, let's just kill that right now. No, it, it's so true. But we've talked about your, your personal story, kind of what we do as sales managers and so many of the interest intricacies, excuse me, that we deal with. Um, and then, you know, how this thing called the internet has really helped us, uh, in our positions. And so yeah. I think there's a lot of good tidbits in there for, for people to take out. But the one thing yeah. that I did say that I wanted to talk to you about before we get into my favorite part of the podcast, which is the lightning round questions, which I think you're going right. to find absolutely funny. Um, but this is kind of that, that personal and family life as part of this job, because it mm -hmm. obviously requires a lot of work and a lot of time, but right. people think we just work and travel all the time, but we all have family. So yep. how is important to, you know, for you, you know, how is important to have that balance between the two? And, you know, it's kind of funny because we don't really show that side 
of our lives. Yeah. So people don't think we do much with it, but it's like, I don't have to show you it to really be living it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I've always, uh, that's a, that's a, it's a very fair question. And I think it's an important one to talk about. Um, I, I got really lucky picking a spouse. Um, I like uh, that. That's the first of it. My wife and I agree on anything core value, anything and everything core value related We're we're, we're aligned. So, um, it, it's, we've, we've never been on opposite sides of the fence on tough decisions. You know, like our, our hardest decision is what do you want to eat tonight? Most, most nights. So, <laughs> Sounds like so, us. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, when, uh, when I asked my wife, if she was wanting to move, no, my wife was born and raised in Tampa. And when I asked her if, if she was willing to what she thought about going to Texas, she said she shrugged her shoulders and she said, I'm, I'm ready for an adventure. Um, and that was great. And, and I didn't, and I, and when I asked her, I was very, I was very honest. Like I, I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't even going to want to do it if she wasn't hundred percent on board with it. Um, so I, you know, the whole, I don't, really try to balance my life um i have my goals as a as a as a professional and my so i have my professional goals and i have things in my marriage that i'm just not willing to compromise on and um you know if if my if my wife needs more of my attention or my time we you know we, you know yes it's on her to communicate that but it's also on me to watch out for signs that she might not be communicating that um, and so I don't, you know, and the same thing with, uh, with, with my, uh, with my son and, and soon daughter on the way. Um, when, when I think of, you know, when I think of what kind of father I want to be, I got to make sure that if I see myself doing something that is not going to produce that, what I want in my life that I correct for it. Um, and sometimes it is spend less time at work, but most of the time that's not it. Most of the time it's pay more attention. It's um, maybe, you know, do that inconvenient time out because, you know, a lot of times it's, it's easier to actually ignore the behavior and just say, you know what, like, you know, if he doesn't want to eat his vegetables or whatever, like I'm not going to, sit there and make them say that, you know, fine. You know, but you know, I think about the kind of parent I want to be, it's like, okay, I got to do the tough stuff too. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily try to pursue balance because you can kind of go crazy. Like, am I doing enough? Am I not doing enough? Like, but I just try to focus on what are the individual things that I want regarding my marriage, regarding, um, you know, parenthood and regarding my professional career and to make certain that, that I have the action that's going to produce those results. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, you can have both and still be successful. Yeah. You just got to yeah. know how to manage it. Um, I mean, in our jobs, time management is so important and you can fail by that or you can be super successful at it. Um, right. But it's so important, but I wanted to get your take on it because obviously, I mean, this is sales guy to sales guy. So it's really interesting yeah. to, to hear the different opinions because <laughs> I agree with you. We don't have 40 hour a week jobs. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing about it. <laughs> but there's other guys out there that I would say probably have different opinions, but that's right. probably 
why their personal life is the way it is. And, right. you know, I, I don't judge, you know, I have my own opinion and how I live it, but, um, it's nice to see other people out there that, that share that same opinion. But the last question I wanted to ask you before we get into the lightning round and kind of basically wrap up the big meat part of this, uh, of this episode, if you could send a message to yourself 10 years ago, what would you tell the younger Gary James? Hmm. I, something along the lines of just, you know, be honest with yourself. Yeah. That's it. I, I, cause I think that's been the biggest asset that's helped me to, to move forward. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pretend like we, you know, I don't, I don't want to change my past. Not that I'm proud of everything I've ever done, but, um, it, it, I, I, I don't, re- I, I'm, and there's, of course there's things I've done in life that I regret, but I don't. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change those, but, um, I would definitely, I, in the, I wish I, I do wish I was more aware of when I was lying to myself. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think that being aware of being aware of when I was lying to myself and, and to, to make sure that I stopped that behavior was always what made me happiest. Yeah. Like I wish there was like a little angel from the aviation gods that would come down yeah. and show, show me like my, my life highlight reel and say, yeah, exactly. well, this is, you could have done this, yeah. but you right. didn't because well, you lied to yourself. <laughs> what would your message be? That's a good question. Cause I've never really thought about it. I guess I always ask it. I always ask it cause I'm so intrigued by everybody's answers, but, yeah. um, I would say, don't fear regret. You're going to miss out on a lot of opportunities in life, um, especially at certain times. Um, you may have a good opportunity that you have to pass up. Um, I had an opportunity that I thought was going to be the coolest thing ever and thought it's what I wanted to do, but unfortunately wasn't able to. Um, but life, life comes at you at different directions down the road and better things could come. So true. You know, there's always greener grass on the other side. You just got to keep working towards it. Um, right. So, you know, I, I feel like people get serious FOMO and they get the fear of missing out. And that fear of regret's a big deal. Um, but for me, I, you know, if you miss one opportunity, there's always another door, another opportunity down the road for right. something that could be multiple times better. Um, right. So for putting me on the spot, that's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, man, we talked about a lot of good things. There are a lot of good yeah. stuff. And I really, really enjoyed the big piece of that conversation in our uh, in our podcast. And I hope people took a lot of good things out of that. But we are now coming to my most favorite time uh, of the podcast. And that is the lightning round. So basically, I'm going to ask you 10 questions. It's the first thing that comes off the top of your head. This is almost the speed round. Um, okay. And it's meant to be funny, not serious. Um and I, I know you'll probably have some clever answers for me on this <laughs> okay. one. So. so we will start off. Question number one. Everyone in aviation has their own quirks. So on a scale of one to ten, how weird is Gary James? Eleven. You top the charts. I like it. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I've said, I've said in past podcasts, I'm like, if anybody rates themselves below a five, they're like not a true aviator. I just don't believe. Yeah, them. clearly. <laughs> you know, if you don't think that people that push buttons and pull levers 
and enjoy it are are we are normal like i'm sorry if you think that those people are normal like no yeah no, we're not <laughs> like you, you can't be in this business and be normal like you've got to have a little edge to you there's got to be a little bit of a screw loose somewhere you might <laughs> not know where it is but <laughs> all right question number two what and where is your favorite coffee shop you're a big oh, coffee connoisseur. Don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. Oh, man. Um, okay. Tampa, Florida, there is a place called Armature Works, which is this huge food hall. And um, inside, there is a place called Union Coffee. And I uh, actually uh, went with uh, Fly Kylie there. She's, nice. Uh, yeah. Um, but they are the only place in the world that I found, and I'm sure that other people do it, but they're the only place in the world that I find that does a horchata latte. And oh it Lord. is the most delicious latte that I've ever, I can sit there and pound four of those and not even, not care. I won't care. I'll, I'll eat, I'll use all the calories on it. I don't uh, care. See man, I am a black coffee <laughs> and black coffee only drinker. I, I can't oh. drink any of the foo-foo drinks. Can't do it. <laughs> It's, but it's it doesn't it's not like a Starbucks frappuccino at all. Yeah. Like it's for real coffee. Out of the reason I got into coffee is because a, a buddy of mine opened a coffee shop. Oh, cool! And so he went from like knowing nothing to roasting his own coffee and selling it to restaurants and, and building this really crazy brand. Um, so I was just there on their journey. I was an observer. So. Then I started going to other coffee shops and be like, oh, these guys actually make good coffee, like understanding the difference. And then um, the the guy that started the union coffee shop that I went, that, that does the horchata latte, he was the first person in Tampa to do cold brew, like before Starbucks was doing cold brew, like way, 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 way long time ago. And he started it on, he had this bicycle cart that he affixed the nitro like tap to, and he would, nitro like pour from a tap cold oh, brew Lord. coffee and <laughs> go around tampa serving it and that turned into a legitimate business for him and anyway yeah that's pretty crazy all right question number three we already know what your favorite drink is but what is your favorite food steak okay well good thing you're in steak. texas <laughs> yeah no doubt it's gotta be steak gotta be good steak I'm, a, I'm super picky on steak. All right, question number four, and this always gets strange answers from people. What sound or noise do you absolutely love? See, all my rotor guys, they say they love the sound of a turbine engine starting up. There's just nothing like it, and I yeah, would agree. Nah, <laughs> I'm I'm not a, not into the turbines. Um, Unless I'm sitting in the back of a jet, <laughs> then I'm into the turf. Um, I don't really want to like develop myself uh, as a pilot. You know, yeah. I don't want to fly bigger and better things. I, I like the recreational stuff, and and unless they make a G4 that's a push button, then you get to go. Like I'm, I'm not not. So like I I I'd be lying if I said that I didn't look up every single time I heard a plane go. Yeah, every, every time I do every single time but um, uh, I'd say my favorite sound is a um, naturally aspirated uh, Ferrari V12 motor from the 90s wow that's a deep yeah. answer 
I like that. <laughs> That's deep. That's the first time I've ever heard someone say that so far, yeah. but I like that. All right. Question number five. What's the most important thing you carry with you on every demo flight? Oh man, I thought you were gonna say like a fish, <laughs> fishing pole or something. Nope, nope. My cell phone. If I, if I have an emergency or yeah, I need to get I in touch with somebody, it is the most important thing. Now the fishing pole is, it, you know, it, it it's good for the cell. You know, it's good for the experience. But um, you know, you're gonna say most important. I will I will trade that fishing pole for a cell phone for my cell phone any day. I'll, I'll agree with you on that one. I agree. All right, you know. This is kind of a weird question because we, we, we each love the profession that we're in. But question number right. six, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt if you had the opportunity? If I had the opportunity, um, professional musician would be, a, would be a really, really, really cool one. That's so funny that you say that because like when I was ki like a kid, one of my favorite songs had a violin in it. And I, remember, <laughs> no I literally remember this moment. I asked my mom, I said, um... So next year we have the opportunity to play an instrument. Can I play a violin? <laughs> she said absolutely not because I was in too many other things. Right, right. Um, but that's funny that you say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, to sum it up, I'd say rock star, but not like okay. I'm, I don't. I don't dig top forty music. I like obscure bands. Yeah. Very, very big on obscure bands, and and um, so I, you know, my favorite concerts to go to i don't go to too many concerts anymore but my favorite ones are the ones where there's like you know two thousand people in yeah. a in a in a in a venue and you know you have three bands and you, know, you, you wait till your favorite band comes up that's always my favorite type of show all right question number seven what are you not very good at um puzzles like actual puzzles <laughs> I can't. I have I have no patience for them whatsoever. Um, there was something else. There is some. There is something else that every time I think about it, I'm like, nope, nope, never, never would I ever. Um, but that's not like a skill set thing. That's just I think that's more of an attractiveness thing. But yeah, puzzles. I I I, I human puzzles. I can figure out. Like I can figure. I can like I can sit and have a conversation with yeah. somebody that that. You know, one of my favorite things to do when I go to an air show or something is somebody comes up to me and they're adversarial and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to turn this around. And then, <laughs> you know, they, you know, turning it, turning that negative into a positive and just observing people. And, and I, I really enjoy that. But physical puzzles. Nope. Mm -hmm. That's I, fine. I can't. I cannot. Not for the life of me. Yeah, I hate those, too. So I, I agree with you <laughs> on that one. All right. Question number eight. What is your ultimate dream in life? Um, have, you know, have fun and get paid for it. It's you know, simple have, as so that. It's like, yeah, like get have more fun and still get paid for it. You know, as long as you're happy with what you're doing, that's all that matters mm -hmm. in life. Yep. All right. Question number nine: What is your biggest pet peeve in aviation? Hmm. <laughs> My biggest pet peeve is when people compare used aircraft prices to new aircraft prices. That <laughs> 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 oh man, we just had as a team, we had like literally an hour long conversation about this today. <laughs> that is my, crazy. Like, what, other, what other world could you do that? In? Imagine going into a Toyota dealership 
and saying, well, I could get a, a 97 Volvo for four grand. How are you, I, I'm going to buy this Camry for 30. How are you going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> what world does that work in? You know, yeah. there's, there's no other world other than aviation that compares used aircraft to, or the used old, you know, 40 year old product that's used to something that's new. Nowhere else has, I, have I ever seen that. It blows my mind. Um, it happens It happens everywhere I go. I was in Denton last weekend. Um, guy comes up and he says, why is it so expensive? Because it's expensive to build, man. Like, you know, if, 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 and practically speaking, if we could charge less, we would sell more. No one yep. knows that more than us. Like, yep. nobody. Um, and, and fortunately, and I, and I feel like people forget that these are depreciating assets too. <laughs> yeah, not, like it's not going to gain value. <laughs> yeah, and and I tell them, well, you know, if you want to wait forty years and buy an A five, I'm sure you can find one <laughs> pretty yeah. cheap. Then, <laughs> like, and um, and I, I try not to go there because then that kind of like you can get you you dig heels in and all that. Yeah. But what was nice was last weekend there was a Kodiak. 200 yep. feet away from where I was. It was a two and a half million dollar airplane. And I say like new airplanes are expensive. And I do like being around other new airplanes. It's, you know, we're, we, we struggle because we're in the light sport category and we're the highest price point in the light sport category. Yep. But you won't find anything that comes close on the quality of build or the ease of use. And at the end of the day, that's really what people want. And you know, the, the numbers reflect that. Uh, factory built LSAs, we are number one in light sport amphibious aircraft and we're twice the price of our closest competitor. We build, we sell, build and deliver more airplanes than anyone we compete with, usually year to year combined. Yep. You know, so, and that usually it's, you see the inverse. When you have a higher price, you see a lower demand. And in our case, we have a higher price and we have the highest demand. So. Yep. I just explained to people like that. That should tell you that we've done something special. Yeah, you know, because the numbers don't lie on that. Well, and it's funny because it's it's the same thing. What's happening to you guys in the market's the same thing happening to us. You guys are the most expensive in your market, and in the short light single market for my product, we are also more expensive. Um, but we also sell a lot more than our competitor. Uh, mm -hmm. So people can down you all day, but the numbers don't mm -hmm. lie. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. And it, but yeah, that's I I do love talking about that. That. Where, where else do you use, like, do you, do you walk into a used Toyota or to a Toyota dealership and say, oh, I can buy a used camera for a tenth of that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like when you talk about airplanes, the people just move into a new dimension. It, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's strange. All right. Last question of the lightning round. Question number 10. If you could fly anything other than the Icon A5, what would you fly? P38 what is that? Yep. It's a P-38 ah, Lightning. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to be a lot more romantic about it than I am now because I didn't know anything about flying. I didn't know anything about like workload or workload management, things like that. And some airplanes are very complicated. And that's, it's a pretty complicated machine. Uh, the, um, but do the flying bulls, do the flying bulls have one of those? They have they one. Do. They renovated, okay. they, yep. they restored one. So that's, that's the plane that actually got me really like teeth into aviation. Um, so when uh, I was, man, I was maybe 12, 13 years old, I got a video game that was all like World War II aircraft and you know, combat and all that. And that was one of the airplanes and I thought it was the best looking one. And that's why I, that's why I was interested in it. And I ended up learning more and more about it when I was a senior in high school. I did my, 
my, my research paper on it. So I learned more. And then um, I was in, uh, I had a demo flight in uh, Abilene and um, Azel Aviation restores a whole bunch of old warbirds and they walked me through their shop. They were the ones that restored the Red Bull one. And I that'd been on my radar for years. So, yeah. you know, I walk into the place that it's done. They're restoring another one over there and they have Corsair. They have a bunch of P-51s in there that they're restoring. And so warbirds were always pretty attractive to me as as I got older and I got became, you know, understood, uh, you know, I got a couple more hours of flying under my belt. I started to realize I'm not really interested in anything, in anything that's complicated. When something once something gets complicated, I kind of lose interest in yeah. terms of airplanes, in terms of me operating the airplane. That's why like I'm completely okay. I don't need to fly a Gulfstream. I, yeah. I need to be in the I do need to be in the back of the Gulfstream. Yeah. Like <laughs> I need to be there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it, it, it's so true. But yeah, if, if anyone listened to this, if if you don't follow the Flying Bulls, which is aka the Red Bull Air Force, uh, run by the owner uh, of Red Bull out in Austria, they have the coolest fleet of old aircraft it is it's For just sure. amazing they need to buy a couple of a5s i think so and they need to put it in their colors <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> all right man well i appreciate you playing along with me in the lightning round um always always love bringing kind of a start closing out the podcast with that as a kind of a funny high note um but we're down to the final two questions of the podcast um before i conclude uh, and we let everybody know where you are on social uh, but the first question i'm going to ask you 70 years from now, how do you want people to remember Gary James? Um, that I'm still just getting started. Seven years from now, I'll, I'll 70, just be 40. 70. 70. Okay. Oh, I thought you said seven. I was like, so I'm like, just getting started. <laughs> 70 old. years from now, yeah, I, I will likely be dead 70 years from now. Um, so that would be that would make me 103. So, um, you know, I am I'm not so big on the idea of legacy. Um, I, 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 I was really fortunate when I was little that my mom used to take me to her rehab patients, uh, cause she did home care. So I would meet people that were in really, really rough shape and, um, seeing how somebody that was really, um, really challenged physically was so grateful, uh, for life at a young age that really, that really impacted me. Um, so I, I want to make certain that I did what I knew was right. Um, I, and I don't take so much responsibility on how well or poorly my kids do in life as much as I take responsibility on being the best as I know I should be. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a big reason that I, I, you know, go to church and I believe what I believe. Um, it's because it encourages me to do better um, and to, to be my best and be my best to other people and be the best father and the best husband I can be. And it doesn't mean that I'm perfect, but it does mean I don't beat myself up when I screw up and that I just, you know, pick up and move forward from wherever I'm at. Um, so I, I got to say, like, the honest answer is I don't care to be remembered as much as like last breath. I did the right thing. That's that's it. Yeah, it's. I feel like that's good tips for for our generation out there right now, right? Like, yeah. don't like don't be comparing yourself to to other people or trying to live a life because 
some some guy you saw lives a certain life because it might not be all glorious over there. Just be yourself and be the best best self because if you're doing the best self and being your best self, then you're getting to where you want to go. 100%. Yeah. All right, so we're going to end off the podcast with giving you an opportunity to ask me uh, any question you'd like. I, I've been doing this on on all my interview shows, so I always give the uh, the guest the last the last uh, the last word on the podcast. So, what would you like to ask the host? Okay, so uh, do you cook, and what is your favorite dish to cook? Do I cook? Well, that's funny. Because my wife's over there on the other side of the room. Um, I do, I do cook. Uh, I don't like to cook. Um, in a way, it's still kind of it's like a mindless action. So in a way, it's right. kind of fun, but I still hate it. Um, do I cook? Yes, I cook. Am I a good cook? Absolutely not. Um, it's funny. I grilled a steak the other night, and I've tried twice now. Just uh, let's take this back, people. I, I just got a grill. I've owned a house for almost, we're going close to four years now. Right. Three, three. I don't know. Uh, yeah. And I didn't. Grill's only, supposed to be like included in the purchase. Yeah. So I just got a, <laughs> I just got a grill for Father's Day. Oh. Last man. Father's Day. So do the math. I That's how long it's been since I, I've had a grill or used a grill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. I, I, I actually make a mean omelet, so I make really good breakfast. It's one of my it's one of my most favorite people meals. that um even people that don't cook, they have at least a meal that they know. Like if I'm hungry and I'm craving something, yeah. I can I can do this and in, in a really good way. So omelets are your thing. Um, but I also I, I like to I can make a good pizza too. Pizzas are good. Really? Not, not just like fr- not just like frozen pizzas, but like a real pizza. We used to do it all the time yeah. as a family. Uh, when I was younger, so it's just kind of something that stuck with me and I like, but we don't eat pizza all that much anymore because me and my wife, we, we like to be healthy, somewhat healthy. Yeah, it's um, rough. I, so. you know, it's a lot of carbs in the, in the crust, <laughs> but it's so good. But, you know, it's funny because, like, uh, my wife and I, is we cook a lot. That's our, that's kind of our, your our, stick, your our thing. time together. Yeah, it's our, it's our time together. So, um, but pizza is one of the things that we stay away from. And it's not a health thing. It's just an effort thing. Like, oh, my uh, God, that's a lot of energy. Yep. No, it's true. So, well, that was a good question. Thanks for putting me out of the yeah. spot, especially since my wife's on the other side of the room and can look at me and hear what I say. So you're about to after, <laughs> yeah. after, this, after this long podcast. <laughs> no, man, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it so much uh, for you joining. Uh, I know this was long overdue. We've been talking about this for a while, so I really do appreciate you uh, you coming on and and kind of like what I say, you know, this part, I like to change things up a little bit. You know, I'm not the typical aviation podcast. I like to get into deeper right. topics and more serious things. Uh, and I think it's what separates mine from others. But um, thank you again, man. I really appreciate of it. Course, uh, it's, I love having another sales brother on the, uh, yeah. on the on the podcast because there's not too many of us around. And so I love right. uh, chit-chatting and uh, picking your brain and listening to what you uh, what you have to say. But to conclude the podcast, where where can people find you on social media and where can people uh, find Icon in sports brand? So um, Icon is big on Instagram and on YouTube. Uh, you know, Icon Aircraft on both of those. Um, and I am at Gary James Knight on all platforms, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, uh, and Clubhouse now. On the Clubhouse. <laughs> I'm on the Clubhouse. 
<laughs> it was just funny. Uh, uh, Minnie L- uh, Lindheim over on Cessna, right? Uh, over at Cessna, excuse me. Uh, she just she got on as well. So it looks like we're having more and more aviation people join the yeah, uh, the clubhouse thing, which is good because my, I know my follower count was like super low. It was like mm-hmm. one person, and then all of a sudden there's <laughs> all these av- like Mel uh, and some more other people uh, from the aviation world have joined, and my follower count yeah. started going up, 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 up. So I'm like, oh, that's kind of yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's nice to be where it's nice to be with the party that. So yes. Well, hey man, I really appreciate uh, you giving us your time tonight. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Getting long overdue. Uh, I hope all the listeners took a good uh, good piece of advice or some good tips or just loved loved hearing from you, Gary James. So thank you again. I really appreciate you uh, you joining me tonight. Of course, man. Yeah, I'm uh, happy to be here, and I definitely want to have you on my podcast as well. Hey, let's do it. But I hope you guys took a little bit of something out of today's podcast. I know I did. I love talking with Gary James. You know, whether it's up at event or at, over the DMs on Instagram. We think alike, even though we're in two separate jobs, but we're kind of doing the same thing. It's always a pleasure to talk with Gary James uh, and to follow what he's been doing uh, over at Icon because he's really moving the product in the in the region that we live in. Uh, I see it every day. I see it in person. Um, and that's kind of the nice thing about Gary James. He is the same person on social media that he is uh, in real life. So Gary James, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast and I hope all of you listeners uh, enjoyed that episode. But if you haven't already, make sure you go over, uh, give the podcast a five-star rating. I hope you all enjoy it and I hope you all are enjoying it. Uh, and then leave a comment as well. Let me know what you thought uh, about this episode with Gary James Knight. So thank you so much to everyone who's been a continued listener. Uh, make sure you go uh, over to Instagram for me at Hodge, H-O-D-G-E underscore C-H-E. Uh, or you can go find uh, the Active Chronicles podcast on Instagram as well. You can also find me on Twitter. You can find me on Clubhouse. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, man, pretty much everywhere. But please come out, follow me, send me a message. Let me know you're a listener. Where are you listening from? Uh, and I hope to have you back on the next episode of the Active Chronicles podcast. Take care.